Hello and welcome back to Ed Voices. My name is Mark Candela. In the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, remote online teaching and learning around the world is empowering big tech companies as emergency response providers and paving the way for long-term transformations to education systems, institutions, and practices. Our guest today can provide some much needed insights into these developments and their long-term impact on education. Ben Williamson, welcome to Ed Voices. Thanks, Matt. You've done a lot of research looking at the intersections of digital technologies, science, and data with education policy and governance. Whilst technology has a role in education, of course, including in this unprecedented crisis, the COVID-19 pandemic has given rise to concerns about edtech companies seeking to exploit the current crisis as part of a market creation scheme. What opportunities or what threats do you see as education is increasingly moved online? Certainly what we've seen over the last month or so is uh, a really remarkable accelerated response by a whole range of sectors to the closure of schools um, and universities. And I think we, we do need to acknowledge from the outset that the provision of online learning platforms and resources and guidance for teachers has in many ways been absolutely uh, essential and invaluable. However, I think as researchers and educators we also need to be raising you know big questions and being quite cautious about the ways in which certain commercial and private sector organizations have perhaps sought to seek advantage um, from from this you know pandemic uh, situation that we unfortunately find ourselves in very early on in the, the beginning of march as just as schools in um, Europe were beginning to be closed down, we already saw um, certain organizations making market projections um, that certain organizations could come out of the crisis as winners in terms of uh, stock market share. So the, the argument being made was that those organizations with ready-made online learning platforms and resources would would stand to benefit from the crisis. Now, we don't know to what extent, but, you know, some of those companies may have actually had or gained stock market advantage from this as of yet. I think we certainly over coming weeks and months need to in interrogate the extent to which you know, some, some companies may have uh, sought to perhaps exploit, but uh, certainly to take advantage of um, openings or new kind of market openings for, for their products. What are some of the main tech companies about, what are some of these uh, tech companies that have reinforced their position or that have emerged as influential actors in education? So I think we've, we've seen a variety of different sorts of organizations emerging in relation to the crisis with the online learning offers and so on. So you have the fairly typical education businesses and ed tech companies really trying to uh, advance their services and their products 
um, into new kinds of spaces and practices. One of the key ones I think here is Pearson. Um, Pearson has for some years been pushing um, its online management systems in higher education and a whole variety of uh, online learning resources um, for schools, including new kinds of data-driven and artificial intelligence uh, applications. Mm -hmm. Pearson has also recently launched a, an entire um, homeschooling curriculum for the summer term. So it's clearly positioning itself not just as a product provider, but as a new source of expertise in uh, a whole variety of uh, teaching and learning across all subjects. So we've seen the, the big education businesses and ed tech companies moving into this space. Oh, um, one of the other ed tech companies, certainly here in the UK, is Century Tech, which offers a, an AI-based learning platform with adaptive, personalized um, learning features. It's made that platform available for free to schools during this particular time, massively upscaled its, um, its user base. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to figure out further down the line what the, the effect, the, the long-term effect of these platforms kind of rolling out their products at this kind of scale uh, really means. But then it, besides the education businesses and the ed tech companies, you've also got the, the, the much larger global international technology companies really pushing their education offer. Um, so Google, for example, has seen a huge spike in the use of Google Classroom and other uh, G Suite uh, tools. Microsoft has seen its Teams application um, expand rapidly um, into educational spaces too. Zoom, of course, has taken off as the kind of video conferencing platform of choice, particularly um, in higher education. We've seen YouTube launch a learn at home um, set of, or a channel, a learn at home channel with educational video resources. Um, and another one called Free School with um, resources for children um, and for that teachers can send, send children to, to go and view as part of their schooling at home. These larger education businesses, uh, larger technology businesses really advancing further into education than they, than they were before. Google, of course, has had a, you know, a, a Google education program for, for years, but it's now pushing a lot of that under this new banner of teach from home and really getting things like Google Classroom. Google has really kind of accustomed or habituated a huge number of teachers to the Google Classroom and the G Suite uh, set of, of resources in ways that it simply hadn't been able to do um, before. before, exactly. So this is changing the, the whole education landscape. So, so what's the risk of, of this edtech giant, uh, which have been rushed into place because of the crisis, to develop new long-term policy agendas to end up being part of education systems? And how do they do that? I think it's, you know, possible from a you know an extremely critical perspective to see this as a kind of disaster capitalist 
private takeover of, of public education. I think we need to be cautious before we jump to those kinds of... Yeah, know, we need some time maybe to... Yeah, shouldn't jump to those extreme cl critical conclusions, but, uh, but I think we need to be asking questions about that. My sense is that, that what we're seeing is a kind of an attempt by many organisations to, as it were, sort of create a new technical infrastructure, um, kind of the underlying systems on which public education may depend in years to come. So once you've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of teachers used to using Google Classroom, do they then take that into their um, longer term practices once children and staff mm -hmm. return to schools? Is there a risk to that? Well, I, I think there are risks to that. All technologies, you know, are infused with particular kind of values of their producers and so on. These companies um, ultimately um, accountable to shareholders. Mm -hmm. uh, these companies often have their own particular political orientation in terms of what education is and what its purpose is. Um, many of them are oriented by the idea that education is primarily about employability or about workforce development or that or they have an agenda to push the science, technology and engineering and maths subjects potentially at the expense of, of other subject areas. I think these are all tensions, questions, issues that we need to be asking and pursuing and trying to find some answers to in coming months, perhaps years. But we also, here and now, I think, need to be tracing out, you know, on a week by week basis, really, because things are changing so quickly, what is actually going on? Which organisations appear to be expanding their reach and potentially their influence? Yeah, we were actually talking before about this network, the Oak Academy. Yeah. Right, that appear uh, overnight and uh, got uh, supported by some officials of the Ministry of Education in England. How, yes. Talk more about that. Yeah, so that's right. I mean, I think we're, we're just seeing beyond individual organizations seeking to sort of set out their their offer in relation to online learning we're also seeing the creation of really powerful networks around this one of which you just mentioned the oak national academy launched literally this morning as as we're speaking today um, this is has just been formed over the last couple of weeks while the schools have been closed for Easter, Anne has launched a, a just a huge set of online learning resources for for schools, particularly uh, in England, to to give to their um, students while while they're out of school. But that organisation itself is strongly associated with Teach First, you know, it's a mm -hmm. private alternative to teacher education in higher education. It's also associated with the Institute for Teaching, which uh, is an organisation which is pr primarily trying to take teacher education out of higher education and actually embed it in specialised teacher, teacher education uh, schools. 
Mm-hmm. It's also associated in part with Research Ed, which is uh, an organisation which pushes particular forms of, of educational research. And I'm not saying any of these are awful organisations, but what I am saying is that these organisations have a very, very particular perspective on what yeah, and they appear overnight and what research evidence is. Mm-hmm. And they are growing in influence and in some cases being promoted by those at the very top of government. So you have that network and then you have um, other sorts of networks. And the the one that I think we need to be keeping a very close eye on is the, the UNESCO Global Coalition for Education. Now, again, I completely understand the importance of a large global coordinating coalition to provide access at huge scale to all those who need educating in, in, in these times. But I think we also need to acknowledge that many of the organisations that are involved in this coalition you know, may have particular kinds of interests or agendas that, that and or that they might benefit from being part of that. So the um, UNESCO Global Education Coalition. It includes Google and Microsoft and Zoom as key technical partners. So it enables Google, Microsoft, and Zoom to uh, expand the reach of their technologies under the banner of UNESCO. Um, you know, as a, a globally recognised and very well acknowledged organisation. And alongside the Google and the Microsoft and the Zooms, you also have organisations like the World Bank and the OECD as part of this coalition. Mm-hmm. The World Bank and the OECD have long been considered highly controversial uh, in education at an international scale, largely because of the very, very strongly economic emphasis they put on education uh, practice and on education policy. Um, at a you know huge international scale, so the OECD, for example, has been very um, open just in some of its announcements in the last few weeks that it sees the closure of schools as a real challenge to the ongoing development of human capital. Um, this this equation of education with human capital in economic terms is a, a long-standing uh, OECD concern. But I think it's, you know, disquieting at this particular moment uh, in, in the midst of this global pandemic to be thinking of education in such starkly economic terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, again, I think these are the kinds of networks that we need to be opening up and seeking to understand better, because as great as some of their promises and offers sound around widening access to students who are currently receiving you know no formal education there are also also all sorts of commercial and governmental and economic drivers um, which we need to unpack much further this is not only a question of uh, the private sector uh, mm. taking the opportunity to make more money this is also mm-hmm. a question of this private sector getting control of education as such as the control yeah. of knowledge i think this issue about yeah control of knowledge is really significant and important that we could be seeing 
um, the beginning of a longer term trend to where you know certain kinds of disciplines or subject areas are reduced and other areas are emphasized uh, with a particular kind of bent towards more technology and science focused sorts of, of, of subjects and you know in the sociology of education you know people researchers have asked for the last half a century you know who controls the curriculum um and you know there used to be an awful lot of concern about you know, overt state control of the curriculum and the the wrestling of control away from teachers um and the drafting of you know national level curricula that reinforced and reproduced the particular interests of you know really powerful groups in society or that um, helped to reinforce the the kind of desires of of government and so on there's a a wrestling away from both teachers and in some respects the state of control over the curriculum by transnational private authorities with their own particular reasons for um, wanting to be involved in education. Definitely. Also, the move to online has brought to the fore serious concerns regarding access and equity. Because we're talking about technology and distance and digital learning all the time, but simply put, many children around the world, and including in many Many in developed countries, they don't have access to the technology assumed in such provision. How can this be addressed? Can digital learning really provide quality and equitable education to all? I guess the response to that question is that it can and it can't. Um, that in some respects, or in, to a large extent, technology is now enabling access to education at a time when you know the vast majority of the children in the world can't access it otherwise so in that respect it you know it seems to be a an, an educational enabler mm -hmm. and that's to be admired that people have so quickly been able to adapt to that but at the same time it's absolutely clear i think that There are all sorts of issues with many young people and families who simply don't have access to the right kind of hardware, even at home, to access some of the resources that are being suggested to them. So I know in the UK, I mean, the UK is an extremely wealthy uh, country, but it's also an extremely unequal one. And I believe the Department for Education has announced now that it's going to start sending out laptops to um, households for the, those children who are most disadvantaged or, or don't have access. Um, so it's clearly not a, the, 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 the switch to online learning is clearly not a, a straightforward one. But I think it also, this question of access and equity also begs some other questions, not just about whether you've got the hardware and, and the software and stuff at home, but it's about whether you have the right kind of digital literacy Um, to be able to access resources and to be able to take care of oneself online. Um, and the screen time that you, that you spend, that your children spend in front of the computer? Right? Well, yeah. So we are now encouraging children to um, you know, <laughs> indulge in unlimited screen time despite the fact that there have been endless 
you know, uh, and quite tedious debates about about screen time. But certainly now, it seems that everything is is to be done by screens. And there are also questions about the ability of parents to really be able to support their children in this. I mean, did the idea that the vast majority of young people, even those as young as you know the, the infant years, are actually able to um, access digital resources and learn from them without the expertise of the teacher to support them is really dubious, I think. And parents, firstly, have a very different kind of relationship with their children, I think, and than teachers. Um, but parents also don't have necessarily have educational expertise um, in that, that's required to support uh, their children. And a huge number of parents also are having to juggle this with the responsibilities of not just childcare, but their own working um, <laughs> responsibilities too. Um, and, you know, I, that's reflected in my own home. Yeah, that resonates with me as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we are having to find points in the day where we can get, you know, meaningful bits of work done whilst also conscious that we, we, we have children that we we need to look after who are not just needing our advice and help in terms of education but are also living in times that are really quite frightening for them um, I don't think we can have the same kinds of expectations about what's possible to achieve in education through online or in any uh, medium or format simply because these are scary times for us all. Totally. And there's also uh, some concerns about a student's data privacy. So this massive and fast move to online learning also raises some questions uh, about this. Could you tell us a little bit more about this issue? I know that you've been researching on that. What is at stake in terms of privacy in the current context? Yeah, well, we're, we're, we are now asking children at huge international scale to give up quite a lot of their own personal information in order to be able to access particular resources. You know, I, I want to admire those education technology organisations who've taken this really seriously over the last few years. I think we've seen a lot of advances in terms of data protection, but there are, there are clearly still um, issues and the clearly the one that has come to the fore in the last few weeks is the issue over zoom which is you know now in widespread educational use there appears not to be compliant with the general data protection regulation in Europe so that is clearly deeply deeply problematic in terms of ensuring data privacy of students if they are required to use uh, that platform and also we've seen the truly appalling cases of zoom bombing um, particularly in the, the states where particular online learning lessons and lectures are being breached hacked into uh, with all sorts of appalling racist and misogynist language you know, and and obscene footage being broadcast into in into lessons. So this period of mass transition to online teaching clearly does open up a whole new world of 
data privacy and data protection concerns and, and questions. Zoom is the one that, that everybody's fixated on at the moment. I think in coming weeks and months, we'll see more examples of where this has become um, problematic. Um, but again, as yet, I don't think we have any systematic studies that are being done to monitor this. Um, but I think that, that that kind of work sounds to me like it's really, really important. At the current yeah. moment. I was actually going to ask you what gaps there are in the research on edtech and where is more research needed. So probably in this area. I think this would be a, this would be a key area. I think um, probably this point in time is a is going to be seen as a huge test case for the ability of data regulators and data privacy um, regulation. Does it does it work? You know, have can all of these platforms uh, hold up um, with the kind of levels of usage that that they're now getting, or do we find that there is personal data leaking out all over the place? You know, with with truly huge numbers of students now accessing tools that they probably otherwise would never have done or would only have done in you know the, the environment of the school itself and are now having to do from home through their own uh, Wi-Fi networks and so on. Mm -hmm. In terms of other research gaps, I mean, I think that the priority, I think, has to be around some of these large-scale networks that are emerging where we're seeing private sector organizations and kind of intermediary philanthropic foundations and government departments and international uh, sort of transnational governance organizations coalescing together around shared aims and their shared aim expressed in the short term is to ensure access to education at huge scale but many of these organizations and these networks they're forming are also already talking about this as a point from which we think about the longer term changes and transformations which which need to happen in public education i don't take the view that public education in either the uk or in europe or the us or wherever is perfect but I think public education is a space which, or I think the future of public education needs to be debated and discussed as a kind of public, consultative, dialogic, deliberative uh, kind of process. At the moment, conversations about what the future of education might look like long term are primarily um, being had within these emerging networks of governmental, commercial and philanthropic organizations. So there are clear, clear implications for democracy in, in all this. Do you think that education is going to change forever after this crisis? I think it's too early to tell. Um, but I think what we can see is an awful lot of organizations who are saying it must change. Um, and that's coming from a variety of perspectives. You know, we've got or individuals and organizations saying this is revealing all sorts of things that were wrong in education. You know, the fact that so many kids don't, can't get equal access to education anyway, as you know, we're now more aware of that. So, so that must change. Um, we are seeing more public institutions like, for example, the BBC, the 
British Broadcasting Corporation in the UK, uh, actually almost reinvesting in education and saying, actually, we have a public mission to be involved here. But again, we also see these large, sometimes commercial, sometimes intergovernmental organisations really pushing for, for long-term change. So although I don't think we know whether education will change for the long term, I think what we can say for now is that an awful lot of organisations are saying it should, and that the current moment is an opportunity for testing out what the future of education should look like. Okay, so I think that's that's all. Thank you so much, Ben, for okay. being with us. And to all of you out there, our listeners, thank you for tuning in to Ed Voices, the Education International podcast. Stay tuned with education news on the EI website and social media. And if you'd like to find out more about our global response campaign to the commercialization and privatization of education, check out our hashtag, Students Before Profit, on social media. Take care, stay home.